0: I've always had this theory that there's a a kinesthetic satisfaction to owning and operating a high-end chronograph. You don't just appreciate it intellectually, you actually feel something physically when you interact with one of these things.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Stephen Pulverin, and this is Hodinky Radio. This week, we're doing a mini Langa Langapalooza. Uh, we've got a two-segment episode here for you about all things Elangenzona. So up first, I actually got to sit down and do a virtual interview with Mr. Wilhelm Schmidt, the CEO of Langa. Wilhelm is one of my favorite executive interviews in all of watchmaking. You get honest, no BS, insightful answers. He loves watchmaking. He loves the brand. And I always learn something from him. So we sit down to talk about the new Cabaret Tourbillon Handwerkskunst, the other new novelties, what Longa has been doing during the pandemic, and a whole lot more. Make sure you listen to the whole interview. Wilhelm gives a few sneak peeks at what might be coming from Longa over the next couple of months. After that, Ben, Jack, and Logan have a conversation about what it's like to actually own and wear a watch from Elong and Zona. I, these are such complicated, interesting, detail oriented watches. And they're watches that it's hard to understand just from pictures on the internet or a few Instagram posts. So these three guys have varying levels of experience collecting, wearing, reviewing langas, and they offer some insights into what it's actually like to wear and own these pieces for a sustained period of time. So if you love langa, if you want to know about the latest pieces or what it's like in the long run, this is an episode for you. So with that in mind, it's Langapalooza. Let's do this.
2: Hey, Wilhelm. Good to see you. Good, Steve, Good to see you. At least two-dimensional.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. It'd, it'd be much nicer if we could uh, be in Germany doing the usual celebration around this. But, uh, Absolutely. you know, this is better than nothing.
2: No, these days we'll come back for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm going to get right into it. There's there's some pretty exciting news from Lange, and it's it's really nice to be able to have you on the show to kind of talk to us about it. So the big news this week is is the new Cabaret Tourbillon Handwerkskunst. Yes, the return of the Cabaret for longtime Longa fans. That's a big deal. Can you maybe, before we get into this watch, just give me some background on the Cabaret for people who are new to Langa and may not even know what this watch
2: is? Yeah. Look, there's, in the very beginning, there were four watches. One was called the Arcade, which, you know, was good of a a shape, a case design, which uh, should remind people on certain windows or window shapes of the castle of Dresden. But that was not the final road into rectangular watches. That was actually done by the cabaret. And then the cabaret was one of our watch families, obviously a rectangular watch, which came in all sort of iterations. And the absolute top of all this iteration was the launch of the Cabaret Tourbillon in 2009, because that was actually at the time, the first time that a watch came with a tourbillon that you can stop to adjust the time properly, which funny enough, nobody ever in the history since Breguet invented the tourbillon has been thought about and uh, whoever, tried to adjust a Torbjorn watch to precise time, knows that it's quite a masterpiece to get it right, because usually you lose anything up to a minute by adjusting the time, because you can't stop the second hand. And this watch you could. Then, you know, it was a pure capacity decision to stop the line of the cabaret you know, that's usually our biggest restriction. We have so many watchmakers that can work so many hours and that will give so many watches output a year. And then we eventually realized that if you become too diverse, you further impact efficiency. And that's why we stopped producing the cabaret. And the only exception is the cabaret Torbjörn uh, Handwerkskunst. You know, those that are familiar with the concept know that You know, once in a while, we come up with a watch in that line where we do everything we know if we talk about decoration and make our life incredibly difficult by giving it ankles that hardly can be polished and we manage to polish it or where we use enamel techniques that we usually don't apply. And Stephen, quite frankly, on purpose, the number of watches we produce is always pretty low because the amount of labor that goes into each and any of these watches is absurd, specifically if you take usually your best resources to work on it.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, with that in mind, there's there's only 30 of these being produced. It's the first time we've seen a cabaret in years. It's super limited at 30 pieces. And like you said, it's really kind of the best of what Lange can be. I, I wonder, can you walk us through a couple of the the kind of like features of this watch or the little flourishes of this watch that you think make it so special and really show off what Lange can do?
2: Absolutely. You know, there are first the, the in-house made enamel dials. And if, you know, there's probably nothing worse to do in enamel than a watch with a tourbillon cut, because, you know, you very suddenly have Tiny little bridges that you have to fill with enamel, with basically glass. And, you know, the, the slightest friction anywhere means and you don't have a dial anymore. Yeah. So, and people underestimate um, how easy that stuff is breaking, specifically if you create what you shouldn't create on enamel dials, you know, tiny little uh, areas that you have to fill. And to make it even more complicated, the inner square is actually first engraved with a very specific engraving. And then we fill with a translucent enamel, that inner square. So you have different shades of gray in this case, and you can see the engraving through the enamel. So the enamel. So that's, that makes it even more difficult. And if you turn the watch around, You will see the same sort of, I would call it art nouveau, very geographic engraving where you typically see our floral engraving on the balance cock. Every decoration of that watch is different to the normal decoration. Everything is made to make the decorator's life incredibly difficult (laughs) and everything is made to make the watchmaker the poor man or woman that has to assemble the watch even more difficult because a tiny little scratch is very unforgivable on these sort of watches yeah so that's why i say you know everything is done to show what is possible but probably not um, on a larger number of watches not even for us
1: yeah, one of the things I love about this watch and, and even going back to those early arcade watches is the the fact that you're always using shaped movements. Like these are never round movements or even square movements plonked into into a different shaped case. And in this one, you have this sort of lozenge shaped movement with the frosting on yeah. the on the three quarter plate. And even to see a three quarter plate on a rectangular movement is really surprising. It's not something that people are used to seeing.
2: No, it's, it's, and again, you know, it is like always the DNA and, and, you know, wherever we can use a three quarter plate, even we call it differently on a, on a rectangular watch, wherever we can do that, we try to do it. But again, that's why the watch is is so clear. And to be honest, Mr. Blumlein statement was, you know, if you want to show clearly that you do your own movements, and now we talk about the nineties where we still had to prove that. You have to come up with something which you can't buy from the market. And you could not buy a rectangular mar- uh, movements from the market. Yeah. So that was clearly a statement to see to say, we do our own movements.
1: Yeah, it's really beautiful. And I think to me, the most interesting thing is that it, it looks like a longer movement, just with a slight twist. Yes. Like it doesn't feel like it's something that comes out of left field, which, yeah. which I really like. And, you know, having talked to, to Jack and Ben about this, I know they're, uh, they're big fans as well. Uh, You have to
2: see the watch in the flesh, to be honest. It's again, I believe the Mm. most difficult thing with the Handwerkskunst in general is that even we use the best photographers, they're usually unable to really produce photos that give justice to the real beauty of the watch. You know, there's only one way you have to look at it and that is you have to put it into your hand and around your wrist because that is really unveiling the total beauty Um, And, you know, the finer the subtle differences are, the more important is that last step. And that's why I believe it's so high time that we get back to some normal life. Because with all digital content, this last experience is a very physical one. Yeah,
1: no, no, I know. And it's, it's, I mean, typically, historically, for people who may not know, when the Kunst watches are released, there's usually a big press and collector event either in Germany or Italy or New York or somewhere, and yes. we all get to get together and it's it's a big unveiling, and it's it's why I was honestly so so shocked and and surprised when I saw that this was being released this way. And I mean, it's it's a necessity right now, but it's you know these are normally watches that uh, there's quite a bit of fanfare around because they take. They take, what, years to develop, no?
2: Absolutely, and uh, rest assured, we will send watches around the world to, to non-sellable watches, of course, uh, so to, sure. to have it for photo shoots and all that. And I know already quite a few collectors are waiting for it because the rumor is out somehow, like always. <laughs> And probably yeah. when people can't meet personally, rumors even travel quicker than before. I think so. <laughs> the rumor is out. And I know that a few collectors already raised their hand and say, regardless what it is, I want one. And um, yeah, well, now work on it. That's the best part of the corona crisis and how we dealt with it. We learned a lot about capacity that we had in-house that we did not explore to the full extent before. Yeah. And we sure some decorations that you will see on that watch, and the, the 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 art to deal with engraving and enameling. These are typical things that, that, where you need a bit of time, which we had, of course, during uh, the first couple of months of last year. Yeah.
1: I, I wonder, you know, obviously we'll set this one aside since it's brand new, but of the other Handwerkskunst models, do you, do you have a personal favorite from the previous
2: editions? Funny enough, I do have and I tell you why. Um, I loved the Zeitwerk Handwerkskunst mm. because it it has one thing that I thought is brilliant, which turned out to be an absolute nightmare. And that's why probably with the exception of the grand complication, we'll never do it again that golden Glashütter escapement, you know, where we replace the normal material by gold and it's a nightmare uh, to adjust. (laughs) But, you know, simply for that story, because it just tells you we make our life on purpose difficult to ensure that, uh, you know, everybody knows why there are only so few.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think my personal favorite which is just ahead of the Zeitwerk. Yes, is the uh, Lange One Turbion with the black enamel dial.
2: Would have been my second uh, one, to be honest.
1: I remember yeah. seeing that watch and just my jaw hit the floor. Yeah, you know, if you see, to your point, you see press pictures of it, and it looks like a shiny black dial, like it's it's okay. It's a black dial Turbion. In person, it's anything but. It's it's really just a shockingly beautiful subtle piece of watchmaking. Yeah. And I think it's a piece of watchmaking that it takes it takes real guts to kind of put out there as as a high-end kind of halo piece and I love when Longa does things like that. I think it's it's something that only you guys can really do at that
2: level. Would have been my second choice even so I uh, just, you know, by mm. by a little bit. But it's these black dials, you know, black and white are probably the most difficult enamel dials that you can produce because they are completely unforgiving. Sure. The, a little flaw, a little wrong color into it, and you can just throw it away. You can't repair it. Yeah. And again, if you then start cutting into the enamel dials, yeah. that's where it gets really difficult. Uh, and, 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 and that's why we do it. probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it was easy, it wouldn't be any fun, right? <laughs> We at least wouldn't call it handwerkskunst. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh,
1: well I have to I have to ask the obvious question before we talk about some of the other other novelties and some other things, but um are we gonna be seeing the return of the cabaret more generally? Is that something that people can look forward to? No. Okay.
2: No. No. I never say never and forever, but you know, it's it's uh, we're so busy by just fulfilling the promises that we already gave that we do not want to complicate our life even further by launching a seventh watch family. Sure. Uh, At the moment, it really doesn't matter which family we talk about. We are running behind demand like you have no idea. So there is actually no room. I don't have capacity for another watch family.
1: Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. And speaking of those other watch families, I mean, we the, the Kunst is, is obviously the kind of star of this week, but yeah. there, there are two other, I guess, three other technically new releases. There's a Longomatic Perpetual, which is a limited edition anniversary piece in two different colors, you know, red gold or white gold uh, with a blue dial. And then there's the Saxonia Thin in pink gold with that blue gold flux kind of a Venturine style dial. And Both of these watches, the the Langomatic Perpetual and then the the Saxonia Thin are, you know, they're real Langa classics. Like these are tried and true Langa watches. And I wonder how you think about evolving those pieces, bringing new things to the table while still kind of respecting the things about these watches that everybody loves.
2: Well, specifically the Langomatic. I mean, it's not 20 years. There aren't that many watches on the market, which basically in dimension and, 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 and formal layout unchanged. Yeah. So we just use different case materials and different colors. And to be honest, everybody said the last, uh, of these watches, the honey gold version that we launched about a year and a half, two years ago. And then we thought this time we catch them all on surprise and we can with do more iterations. It is just a beautiful watch and, and we only have now the lately the Lange 1 perpetual calendar as a standalone perpetual calendar. And that's why we launched these two watches limited and in a very beautiful and, and specially decorated dark blue dial. Just, you know, to show what we can do just by changing uh, a dial in a case material.
1: Yeah, and I mean the the dark blue on these is it's an even blue yeah. color, let's say, whereas the Saxonia Thin has this really sparkly, vivid gold flux. Yeah, that's that's become an interesting material for for longa. This is now what the second or third time you've you've used it.
2: Absolutely, and I admit I was not a big fan in the beginning. It was one of these moments wow. where I was overruled by Tony de Haas and Tino Boer. <laughs> and they were right, and I was wrong. I openly admit that. It is just an unbelievable watch that you can't put agenda to it. For sure, it's probably, and I think I quote somebody you know, uh, if I say it's the ultimate tuxedo watch <laughs> um, fair.
1: <laughs> it's a pretty brilliant guy who said that, I think. I think that's a that's a smart guy.: yeah.
2: I know him well and for long. Yeah. No uh, and I think that that, that that probably is it. you know if, if you wear something like a tuxedo or you know you go to a very formal, that's probably the ultimate watch to wear on on these occasions. Yeah. Ever since we launched it, we we just see that people love it the Lange 1, the little Lange 1 moon phase that we launched in in, in April, you know, the demand is just unbelievably high. And again, that dial, unfortunately we had to learn why um, the dials that are made one of one piece are a lot easier than (laughs) with a lot of cuts. And so, you know, I think we produced quite some expensive glass rubbish and uh, lack of a better word, in the production of that. We know now how to deal with it, but yeah, Jesus, we paid quite a bit of money for that learning lesson. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, wh- one of the things I love
1: about this watch is just how simple it is. And it's, it's this edition and all of the Saxonia Thin. And, you know, it's a round watch. It has two hands. It comes on a leather strap. It has baton markers. I mean, like, it's almost as simple as a wristwatch can be. But I still think it feels very longa. I mean, to what we talked about earlier with the cabaret, like these this watch still feels just as longa as the Longa One or as an 1815 or as a Longomatic Perpetual. And I I wonder how you think about the kind of like core essence of the brand and how it's expressed in a piece like this versus something like a longa one, let's say.
2: I you know, again, I believe the designer's nightmare is to represent what a brand stands for if you only have two hands to play with, you know? Because if you have a hugely complicated watch and, 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 and you have lots of details that you can play with, that's also difficult, but at least there's a lot of room to maneuver. There's very little room to maneuver with two hands. However, yeah. you will recognize when we change the size of, the case, we don't use the same hands. We don't use the same indices. Everything is changing accordingly. And that's what people see and recognize. And that's why, whether it's 37 or 40 millimeter, this watch always looks like it has to be an Alanga and Söhne because these little design details are acknowledged and executed. I'll never forget as we launched the uh, Datograph up and down in 2012, and Tony said to me, we have to increase the outsized date by 4% because the uh, case dimension have been increased by 4%. So, and that's, that's the thinking behind it, I believe. We don't accept shortcuts if we talk about that. So if we have to produce new hands, we produce new hands. Yeah. Uh, we would not just take others because we believe nobody will recognize it because we know that our customers and clients would recognize yeah. it.
1: Yeah, I mean that's an interesting conundrum, right? Like at the end, you 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 want to produce the best watch, and you want to produce it obviously at the the fairest price, but also like you you have some of the most demanding clients and collectors yeah. out there, and you you kind of whether it's a two hand dress watch or whether it's a cabaret tourbillon, like you you have to deliver each and every time because you can't sneak anything by your
2: clients. No, uh, it's and, and 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 that's what. Again, I'm now more than 10 years running it, and that's what I had to learn from the beginning. You know, Alange and Söhne has a lot of custodians, and our clients are more custodians than probably anything else. And if they would see that we do shortcuts and make our life too easy, become too complacent, they're also quite vocal. So we would know. Yeah, <laughs>
1: Definitely, definitely would. Uh, I, I can't imagine you wouldn't. <laughs> We've kind of touched on it a little bit here and there, but obviously, the last eighteen months have been difficult for everyone in in varying degrees and in varying ways. But I wonder what you think you've learned personally, and then what you know maybe Langa as a, as a brand and as a team has learned over the last eighteen months. Has has any have any good lessons come out of this for you and? Anything that maybe you can take take forward to, to run a better business, make better watches, you know, have happier clients, all of those things.
2: We learned what we do not want to change and we are also accepted where we have to adapt and change. Okay. If if, if, if I can put it as simple as this, that doesn't sound a lot, but for a very conservative company as we are, that's a huge milestone. Yeah. And we decided that the way we we design our watches, we build our watches from double assembly to, you know, the subtle differences. This is something that we do not want to change. We do not want to change that all watches are built, designed, produced by hands and and real human beings and not robotics. We decided that even we could go down the road of um, materials that can make our life a little easier that we don't, because that's not why people buy us, want us, and like us. So that whole field, we identified as we do not change. As a matter of fact, you know, you remember that the dial of the topograph polymerid, the honey gold, yeah, and, and we learned how to produce these dials because there was the supply chain was broken, the, the, the usual manufacturer were closed, so we had to do it ourselves. So we use that time to learn a lot. On the other hand, we had to say goodbye to stay too close to our customers because the last 18 months just didn't allow that. Yeah. So how do you create proximity without events, without physical touch points in, in boutiques, IDs? So we went a lot more digital than I would have thought so. And gladly, not only have we changed, but also our clients have changed. Mm. And they're pretty aware of, we can't meet personally. So that's the next best thing. But Stephen, I'm so curious to see whether that last meter is not coming back once we can meet all in person again. And I, 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 I think a lot is going to stay, but I can't believe that that last magic moment where here is my heart earned money and you get that watch, that object of desire and you touch it and you feel the weight and you put it around your wrist and you see how it suits you as a person, I can't believe that this is gone forever. I have to hope that it's coming back. I mean, I
1: think when it's safe to do so again, I think people will be very excited to do that. And I think, especially for a high-touch, high-personalization kind of brand like Lange, it only makes sense. And I think it's something... That you all clearly have valued for a long time, and so I, I, I think for some brands it might not come back. I I would agree with you. I think it would be shocking to me if if for you and your team that didn't didn't come back.
2: We will work on everything. I'm sure, as I said, all these digital steps that we implemented, they are here to stay. You know, that's just another facet that that we will have to to work with in a typical uh, langer way, but my, my, my heart hopes for, you know, this magic moment coming back rather sooner than later.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, with, with that in mind, before I let you go, just on a personal note, when it's safe and things are open again, where's the first place you can't wait to travel?
2: New York. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. <laughs> i love to hear that. I'm not joking. New York is definitely... New York and in Singapore because I have a brand manager there that I have never seen in person. Mm. So that probably my second uh, Dubai where we have a boutique open that I've never visited in person. I will not. I promised myself to not travel again as much as I did before uh, that crisis hit us. Yeah, i and and I swear to God, I learned to appreciate to stay in my own bed. I've never had that privilege before, um, yeah. and I will not. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Oof, I'm right there with you. So there are things that I'm going to do again, but not to the extent I used to do. But definitely, I can't wait getting back to New York.
1: Amazing. Well, hopefully, I'll see you very soon in in either New York or California or maybe in Germany or Singapore. Who knows? Who knows? Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, congratulations on the launches and
2: uh, hope to
1: hope to catch up in person soon.
2: Fantastic. Stay healthy, stay safe, enjoy life, and uh, we stay in touch. Thank you. You too, my friend. Take care. Wonderful. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye.
1: Up next, Jack, Ben, and Logan talk about what it's like to actually own and wear a langa.
0: Hi, everybody, Jack Forster, Editor-in-Chief at Hodiki.com, And today I am uh, sitting here with Ben Clymer and Logan Baker, and uh, we're talking long And uh, what we are going to talk about, I think, is uh, how we first encountered the brand. And I think for each of us, it uh, holds a really, really special place in our heart and for very, very personal reasons. And I think what we'd like to start out with is uh, just like, how did you first encounter the brand? Because I think the first time you see a Longa watch, and the first time you hold a Longa watch, it's kind of a transformative experience. It was for me, and I'd love to hear uh, Logan and Ben what you guys felt the first time you saw Longa and how it happened.
3: Logan, do you want to take it away? Absolutely. So it's I'm I'm going to kind of embarrass myself with this story here, but uh, you know I think it's it's a good one. When I first entered the the watch industry, I was this was you know 2014 2015. I was uh, 19 years old, and um, you know I didn't really know a thing about watches. I was you know kind of excited to enter the world of journalism and media. I was a student at NYU, and I ended up at a watch publication that is no longer really around. And I remember in those early days of kind of going through press releases and everything, uh, a lot of the brands started to uh, kind of blend in together. But there were certain ones that, uh, you know, the names were different that just kind of stuck out to me. And, um, you know, I think part of it was I didn't know how to pronounce
0: these, these names.
3: So it's like, you know, Jaeger Uh I thought it was Jaeger Coltra. Uh, for the longest time, which I think uh, is probably a common mistake people make in their introductory in in their first few months.
0: You know, Logan, I think that's absolutely marvelous because uh, I had the same experience when I started out. I was like, okay, here's the brands I can pronounce. And here's the ones I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing.
4: (laughs) Yeah. So Rolex Omega, we got that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Timex. Timex. Tag Tag year? Is that how you say that? Higher? Hublot, right? Hublot. Yeah, yeah. Hublot <laughs> exactly. <a> hublot.
3: <laughs> yeah, but there, there were there were tough ones like jacques Aedreau, uh and then Long and Zanna, which you know it kind of it's it's a longer name than than most watch brands. And you know I, I was a 19 year old kid from uh, Houston, Texas. You know, never been to Germany. I have no idea what Andzana means, but it it kind of sits there and it kind of lingered in my head for a little bit. And uh, I remember just kind of bookmarking it. And, and uh, even though I didn't really, you know, I didn't know what made the brand special. It just had that kind of air to it where I wanted to revisit it and kind of spend more time learning what made it what it was. And, you know, six, seven years later, I'm, I'm still learning, but like I, I've learned, I've, I've figured out what makes the brand uh, so special. And um, I, c- I can't remember my first time going hands-on with a watch, but, you know, I, I definitely cherish every moment that I, I can spend with one. I think that answers the question. Well, cool. yeah. My first experience, really
4: real experience with the brand, was at an Anticorum auction house in probably 2009 or so. I was there with uh, somebody named William Messina, who I think some of you guys have met. Never heard the name. And, uh, and you know, it was one of those things where, like, back then, Longa was even more of a cult thing than it is now. And it's still a cult brand. And I think we all love it that way. But back then, I mean, it was really, really under the radar. Uh, Watches in general were were really under the radar. Certainly like, you know, real high-end watchmaking. And we were at the sale and there was, William, I believe, was wearing a 5070J, which he's had for a long time, which is protects to register chronograph for the time. And that was in his talking watches, I believe. And, you know, he's like, as there was some kind of like dismissive remark made by somebody about Longa, Blah blah blah, and even though he was wearing the Patek, he took off the watch and said, "Hey, person, check out my Patek, and then pick up that datagraph over there in the in the case that was being auctioned off at Anticorum and just flip them both over and, and and take a look." And the person flipped them over, and you know everything changed, and everything changed for me as well. Up until that point, I think you know Patek, Vacheron, AP, but really Patek, where it was kind of like universe, or it was really solely you know, kind of like at the the peak of high-end watchmaking, at least in my mind, because what the hell did I know in 2009? And that was when things started to to change. And I started to realize just kind of how special Wanda was. And the first time you see a graph, as you guys mentioned, like your whole kind of world explodes if you care about, you know, real watchmaking. And, you know, that, that watch sold and it sold for roughly the same price as the 5070 both were below retail at the time. And I said, wow, man, like this is this is kind of wild. Like this feels like such a hidden gem. And then, you know, then I started to research on time zone, mostly a little bit on the purists, about Gunter Bloom line and what really what Lange was. And then the whole history of how the data graph came out, you know, around the same time as the 5070. And Philippe Stern went to go over and look at the the model, you know, the oversized model of the data graph movement and how that really kind of changed things. And I really just started to kind of fall in love. But it was really the data graph that that kind of Exposed me to, to Longa, I still had my reservations. And my reservations with Longa lasted for a little while. And then mostly came down to the fact that the watch that I would see the most was a datagraph or a variation of the datagraph. Sometimes, actually, we had a Jack and I both had a friend that had a turbograph, which is kind of the big Mac Daddy datagraph with what is it, split second, perpetual, turbine, blah, 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 which is just an enormous watch. I mean, it's just, it's like, you know, it's like a triple cheeseburger kind of watch. And so, you know, the exposure to me and Long early on was datagraph-based. And I was like, these are just too thick for me. And I was even more kind of conscious of thickness of watches back then than I am now. And then I found the 1815 chronograph, which, as we all know, is basically the datagraph without the date and in white gold instead of platinum. So all of a sudden, it's thinner, less heavy, less expensive. And that's kind of when I really fell in love and uh, and kind of the rest is history. And now Longa remains, you know, to me, you know, I think they're the best uh, serially made watch in the world.
0: And uh, the 1815 still has that weird, you know, sort of uh, lowered subdial configuration. But uh, there's something super attractive about just the chronograph components from the datagraph, but without the big date.
4: Yep. Look, I mean, I think that the datagraph is the icon. And I think we've actually already really started to see, like the, those watches, the early ones, uh, you know, the yellow jackets, even the Dufour graphs really started to pick up. Steam in terms of value and appreciation from collectors. And I think, you know, if anybody is is listening out there, which I hope at least a few of you are, like we see what's happening with Jorn now, right? And like the early Jorns, which were selling for pennies on the dollars as recently as 18 months ago are now selling for gazillions. How can a longa or an early longa not follow suit? How can the closed back Longa ones, for example, the steel watches, which I've been lucky enough to own in the past, or you know, the really special data graphs from early on, how are those not experiencing the same bump that, that the Jorns are and certainly the early Pateks and the early Royal Oaks and all that. Like this to me, like that that is that's the future or it is a future of, of collectible watches, definitely.
0: So a question for both of you guys, I mean Ben, for instance, you have famously in a in a number of articles that you've published on Hodiki said, look, movements are important, but they're not the only thing that's important about a watch. Absolutely. If you're evaluating if you're evaluating a watch, you know, it's a matter of personal taste to a certain extent. You might be a movement geek. You might not care about them at all. But uh, what is it about looking at the movement of, and, 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 you know, I think the three of us have all had that moment where we, that we remember where we look at a datagraph movement for the first time and we're like, holy smokes, Yeah, you know?
4: Yeah. If you ever want to convince somebody that watches are special, the mechanical watchmaking is a special field. The best way to do it is show them a data graph. You know, I mean, much more so than a, really any Patek, any almost even any other Langa, uh, you know, that, that movement is so architectural and so three-dimensional, almost to a fault, you know, which makes it a little bit thicker than than others. It was designed to be admired. Whereas, you know, the Lemanias that were in these Patek 50, 70s, 59, 70s, whatever, they they were meant to be appreciated by their owners and by their watchmakers, but they weren't meant to to, you know, to, to, to like inspire voyeurism, you know what I mean? Like a data graph, like it's there to encourage people to gaze at it. Right. And, and those things that that's what makes that watch in particular so special. And then, once you realize that, okay, like Langa is making the best chronograph, I think, uh, you know, up to a certain price point. And you know, when we did our very first video with uh that guy in the Sentier, what's his name? Uh oh, Dufour. That guy. Uh, you know, he said on camera, uh, he said on camera, I think, you know, who's making the best chronograph? Uh Lang, they're German. You know, he says that in our video that we produced in 2013 or 14. I don't think that's changed you know and when you look at the chronograph which is my favorite complication i think many people's favorite complication and they're making the best i think that it's 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 easy to get to fall into longa only makes chronographs and then you start to appreciate the longa one the longa one was the the watch from them that i came into last and now to me that is what longa is all about
3: uh, ben I want to kind of highlight something that you started to say at, at the beginning there that I think is really interesting and maybe Jack can help expand on it a little bit but back in you know the the late 90s early 2000s mid 2000s there were some doubts about longa as from from serious collectors not doubts about the quality but doubts might not be the the right word but it wasn't appreciated to the same degree as, say, your paddocks or your Vacherons, because uh, it was the new kid on the block. Because they were doing things a little differently. Because the the approach to finishing was different than your traditional kind of Swiss, um, you know, very Geneva centered watchmaking, and sure. and the the aesthetics, the dials, the cases, it was all slightly different. And I don't know. I'm, I'm curious if maybe. You guys think that's accurate or maybe you could expand on that kind of early feeling and, and how that sentiment has changed over time.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll let Jack kind of really go into it because he was probably a little bit more aware of it than I was just because I don't know if you know, but Jack is older than I am. So he, he's, he's been far wiser. Uh, well, I mean, look, it, it's the same thing when you look at like a, a a German car, let's say a Porsche, you know, which is amazing. And then you look at a, a Ferrari, like two different ways to make a sports car. Both of them are wonderful. One of them is far more romantic. You could argue far more beautiful in the traditional sense than than the other. And it's usually, you know, the Italian versus the German. And similarly, you know, you have swiss Genevan watchmaking, which is really romantic, you know, very, very conservative, ultimately. And then you have... German watchmaking, which is just different. And I think that that is what makes them special. I think you know, Longa could certainly make a, a 5170 as, as well as Pateka, but they, they want to be different. But you know, Jack, I, I defer to you as as the gentleman who was around in those days.
0: Oh gosh. I mean, uh the datagraph was a game changer. I remember before Gunter Blumline passed away, people so this is uh, you know, to your point, Ben, people asked him, Are you are you going after Patrick Philippe? Are you trying, you know, this was a, an explicit question a lot of watch journalists asked uh, Mr. Blumlein, and he said, you know, i, I like to think of uh, Lange and Paddock as two strong knights on good horses who are competing for the favors of the same princess. And uh, I can't imagine anyone saying something like that today, but it actually didn't feel like a disingenuous thing to say in like the late 1990s. And I think that it's still, I mean the cheesy sort of way, I think it's still a fair comparison, you know, the data graph for a lot of us, it just, it came out of nowhere. Nobody was expecting it. Nobody was expecting this absolutely flawlessly, beautifully designed, wonderfully finished classic, you know, lateral clutch column wheel controlled chronograph to come out of Glashütte to come from, you know, we all had high expectations of Langenzona at that point, but that was, that was, that was really a game changer. It was uh, it was shots fired. You know what it reminds me of. You know to bring back another sort of blast from the past. I don't suppose you guys remember when the Russians introduced the MiG twenty five Foxbat, but it was kind of so the Foxbat was the uh, the Russian Air Force's response to the SR seventy one Blackbird, and uh, nobody was expecting it. It was a fighter that uh, appeared in the skies in the 1980s that was traveling at you know, Mach 3 and like nothing could catch it and no one saw it coming. And it changed the way that aircraft design, military aircraft design evolved permanently and is still affecting the way military aircraft are designed today. And I feel like the, um, well, first of all, I feel like I've uh, reached for a metaphor that Cole Pennington and nobody else is going to uh, relate to. Shout out to Cole Pennington, chili pea in (laughs) the house. Nice man. Uh, but it was kind of the same thing. Like you, you, every once in a while, something happens that really is a paradigm changer. And I, the, to me, that's what the data graph was. And the first time that I actually had a chance to see one in person, and I was lucky enough to wear one for a couple of years on loan from Long I, I just never got tired of looking at it. And it never looked like anything else. It never felt like anything else. And it never stopped feeling special.
4: Yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but it, it kind of bears repeating here that like pre-datagraph, there was really no such thing as an in-house high-end movement, right? Like e vouchers were, were, were taken, and they were modified to be high-end from Lemania, from, you know, whoever, FPGA. And then the datagraph comes around. And now all of a sudden, I mean, I can't, I think within the past two weeks, I think Cole or somebody said, you know, I can't believe it took AP to make their own in-house chronograph this long. Go back 25 years, nobody had an in-house chronograph. And nobody cared. Right, and nobody cared. And then Longa said, wait a minute, like, we're going to do this not because everybody else is doing it, because we believe in quality of of this 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 kind of uh, this greatness. And now everyone has to have it. They they literally changed the stakes by which watchmaking are are, are measured. And like the goalposts moved the day that the datagraph came out for Patek, even for Vacheron, for AP, for for everybody.
0: Yeah, I, I, I always sort of felt like there were a few boardrooms in Switzerland when the datagraph came out uh, that were not long insulin. Uh, boardrooms where people were sitting down and saying okay what are we going to do about this
4: yeah no no question i mean i'm i'm sure there were several of those conversations and
0: even to this day
4: you know if you look at what longa does with their saxonia stuff and the slim stuff you know the things that's like, let's say like $22,000 and below of which there are a few that the quality in those watches is, is extraordinary and i think up until very recently basically up until the, this latest year's release from Patek. It really blew the Calatrava out of the water, and it, this isn't me criticizing Patek. I love Patek. It's just the, it's just the truth. Yeah. You know, if you looked at the entry level watch from both those brands side by side from a watchmaking perspective, they were not comparable. Like objectively, not comparable. It wasn't fair to Patek, honestly. Uh, now with the new movement and what Patek has done this year, it's it's a little bit more of a level playing field. But Langa has always been this way. They've always gone above and beyond.
0: Yeah, I'm actually a, a little bit of a digression, but I really do hope we can get some more communication from from, uh, from paddock about that movement, because it looks super, super interesting it looks beautiful, and I want to turn it over to Logan a little bit now. Um, ben and I have both got a lot of history with the datagraph with the 1815 uh, but you just did a week on the wrist with the 1815 Retrophon. Uh, The first, and, and this is like an extremely special watch. For anyone who's interested in fine watchmaking, and also for anyone who's interested in Longines, because this is the first time they've ever done a watch that is just a rotapont without any other complications. Yeah,
3: 100%. I mean, that was a really fun piece to uh, work on and write. And it was the first time that I had kind of spent an extended period with a longer watch, you know, kind of day after day, instead of seeing a number of watches during a press appointment or in the office or something like that. And really living with a longer watch, especially a longer chronograph, going back to, to what you guys were saying about the data graph, you, you, you really can't not become absorbed with looking at the movement. I mean, you know, I, when I received the watch, you know, I, I, the first like two hours, I would say I was just like, you know, I I was looking at it with a loop, just examining it, just examining all the, the finishing details, all the, you know, the hand engraved balance cock, how the uh, Pont mechanism worked. And, you know, I really felt this kind of engagement with the watch that, you know, you, you feel with when you, when a watch is yours, but you, you don't always feel with you know, a watch when you first see it. And after kind of sitting there for, for a relatively short period of time, I really felt like I had a connection with this watch. And that's that's special. And I think it's something that makes Longa different because you can really insert yourself into that role just by just by looking at the movement and then kind of digging into it with a, with a loop and appreciating how everything kind of works together in harmony. Because so often things are hidden behind, you know, maybe a, a rotor or a um, plate or bridges. And, you know, here everything is on display. And, and like Ben said, it's almost kind of voyeuristic because you're, you're able to really kind of feel what makes this watch run you know, as as you wind it, as you kind of exist with it, like that's, that's, that's special. And that's as much as we can romanticize and, you know, love every single watch, like that's just something you don't get with a, you know, a $500 tool watch with a closed case back, you know, that can be the watch you wear every day and you love and you adore. And, you know, I'm never going to take that away from anybody, but it's, it's a really different experience to kind of almost take yourself out of, Where you are, and then then put yourself inside the the watch, and I I think Longa kind of gives you that platform to dive in more so than than other brands, and that's one thing that I really started to appreciate. But another thing is, this was also my first time kind of spending an extended period with a roche chronograph, and you know, like I've Mm. they're fun, aren't they? They're very fun.
0: They're actually a lot of fun. (laughs) It's really cool. They really.
3: um, you know, I what I kind of discovered one, I really dove off the deep end in uh digging into how split seconds mechanisms work, how uh, they really differ from another, and something I'm kind of working on in the background, which I teased in my week on the wrist, is uh, a deeper dive into split seconds mechanisms at uh Long and Zona, which uh, I think my deadline is at the end of this month, so stay tuned for that. But you know, I was able to talk with uh, Tony DeHaas, who um shoot uh, is the technical product director at Long & Zena. We actually just kind of call him that guy. Yeah, he, he, we just call him the movement guy. He's, he's the, the movement, movement guy, you know, uh, which okay. is a pretty, pretty awesome title. He's also been with the company. Before, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's that guy. That's a pretty special title when it comes to Long and & Zena. And I was able to speak with him and he really kind of helped guide me into what makes the 1850 Rattrapant, different. You know, it, it doesn't have an isolating mechanism like uh, you would see uh, among you know some other high-end Rattrapant chronographs. You know, today. And I'll go into kind of the reasons why that wasn't there in the story that I'm working on. Uh, something else that I found that was interesting is is it doesn't have the spring levers that would normally cause the Rattrapant clamps to snap down on the split seconds wheel. Instead, it has kind of a spring. Driven pivot underneath a bridge that causes the clamps to snap down, which is really interesting and and different than what you would typically see. Just to kind of finish there, I think what makes Rotroponts different is compared to a a tourbillon where things are so kinetic and visual. You know, a a Rotropont is really tactile in, in, in a way that is unlike any other complication, and you're really kind of owning time in a way, you know, you're, you're stopping and starting and uh, resetting and kind of taking ownership of this, this interval of time that even with a normal chronograph, you don't really have. And that's, that's a really unique experience.
0: There's a physical pleasure to owning and operating a high-end chronograph that you don't get from any other complication. And before we go, I've always had this theory that there's a a kinesthetic satisfaction to a really well-made watch movement, a movement like the datagraph you don't just appreciate it intellectually. You actually feel something physically, like there's something, gen- there's something actually physically pleasurable that is mirrored in your own body when you interact with one of these things. And it partly has to do with the, the beauty of execution. I mean, we don't make we're not in the beautiful machines business humanity no pretty much anymore and uh something like the datagraph of the 1815 you know these represent a commitment to creating something that is seamlessly beautiful both mechanically and from an engineering standpoint and aesthetically and like that stuff's just not out there and um i wanted to kind of like draw you both out a little bit in the. A little bit of time we have left on, uh, you know, sort of like, what's that like? You know, we we don't talk. It's a, it's something we don't talk about all that much. Uh, Robert Parker many years ago said that one of the things that uh, wine critics never write about is the fact that wine makes you drunk. You know, it's like it's 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 intoxicating to experience good wine, and the experience of being intoxicated by a good wine is different depending on the wine. And the experience of being physically intoxicated by a high-end movement, it's like, it's different for a paddock. It's different from a langa. You know, it's different from a vashara.
4: It, it, it is. And, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, speak from the vantage point of being lucky enough to say I am a langa owner and wearing a langa in a room full of of collectors or of novices or somewhere in between. It it hits different, you know, and it's like you can enter a red bar meetup where, you know, the, the average price point, who knows? You know, you've got guys there with crazy stuff, you got guys there in G Shocks. Everyone holds longa in such high regard that you could be wearing the Grand Complication, which was that crazy $2.6 million watch they made years ago, or a TurboGraph, or this rocher And people would just want to talk to you about the watch. That's, and that's it. And that is so charming and so wonderful. And it makes you feel good. And it makes like you feel like you spent your money in the right way. Meanwhile, if you show up to let's say a Red Bar event or a hardiki event or anything with the you know a cross section of watch lovers and you're wearing a Patek, a Royal Oak, a Richard meal, which I've I've never done, but I can imagine. And half the conversation is similar to the longer one, which is like, hey, let's talk about the watch. And the other half is, man, like you spent that much money on a watch, like that's that's kind of kind of gross. You're kind of crazy, you know. If you if you're bringing you know big boy into the room, and you know Langa, for whatever reason gets a pass from everyone because it is universally respected and held in high regard. It is not showy at all, at all. I mean, even if you're wearing a hundred thousand dollar watch, which that that split second that Logan reviewed it is, you know, it really just it it makes you feel, like as I said, like you spent your money in the right way for the right reasons, as opposed to other high-end watches, which are similarly excellent in, in construction. They they sometimes kind of make you feel like a little foolish, like you spent how much money on this thing? Uh, and maybe if you don't feel that way, maybe other people feel that way about you. But I can assure you that any langa you know, is held in the highest esteem of, of anybody in the room. And when you go outside the Red Bar meetup and you go to dinner at the Korean place, the Korean barbecue place across the road or whatever, you can wear that hundred thousand dollar watch and nobody thinks anything of it. And I think that's the other side of Langa which is still extremely charming that like, this is not a high luxury brand. This is not like wearing a, a, a logo Louis Vuitton jacket or carrying a, a Louis Vuitton purse. Nobody knows what this stuff is. They could look at the dial and they would have no idea what it is. And that is a, is a really charming aspect of, of, Lange.
0: And you know, the funny thing is you, you know, you're, so you're at dinner at the Korean barbecue and, uh, if you if you turn the watch over and show the movement to someone who's never seen a high-end watch movement before they're going to respond emotionally they will which well, is wonderful they, they'll, they'll understand it.
4: Uh, they'll understand it yeah. and, and again I, I said it earlier and i think you're kind of hinting at it now but like the best way to make yourself feel better with all your your normal friends about your watch obsession is to show them a date or show them a longer movement they're like oh okay i, I get that i get that <laughs> you,
0: yeah you know? yeah it's uh that's one of the things that um well, I mean, I think we all love about Long & It is like one of the very, very few, not, lu- not only luxury watch companies, but luxury companies left that couldn't possibly give a shit about a flex.
3: Correct. Correct. And we love them for it. One other thing that I wanted to highlight real quick before we wrap up is kind of the people behind Long & Zona as well. The 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 humanity of the company is still really readily apparent, and I that's not always the case with some of the the high end watchmakers that we we work with. You know, I I, I want to tell a quick story of a few years ago. I was um you know I visited Longanzana in Glashutte with a, a group of watch collectors. You know, there's about ten to fifteen different collectors of varying, you know, uh, they they collected at, at different price levels. And uh, the CEO, Wilhelm Schmidt, he he met us there. You know, there wasn't a representative of the brand. There wasn't a, a PR or marketing person as, as fantastic as they are. You know, the CEO of the company sat there and talked with our group of American collectors, American and Canadian collectors for 45 or so minutes. And then that evening, he came into to Dresden and he, he sat there and had dinner with us for, for three hours. And this is a group of, you know. no one bought a longa that trip. Like there wasn't an expectation that he was entertaining clients that were going to drop six figures. He he was there because he was representing the brand. He was answering people's questions. He was really creating this, this identity that those collectors are going to carry with them that I mean, I'm going to carry with myself. And that's a really, really wonderful thing. It's, it's warm and inviting and these, these beautiful machines, you know, don't have to be that way it's the people that make them like that and and that's that's really special and i think part of that is you know walter longa was there when the brand was resurrected when it came back and and he kind of helped add that, that layer of humanity to it, you know, he, he went through losing his family company for 40, 50 years. And, uh, when he was able to bring it back, you know, he wanted the Longa name to, to remain there and 30 years, 20 years, 25 years later, you know, it's, it's there. And it's such an important part while some other companies that have been around for centuries, you know, there some of that humanity has decreased to an extent and with Longa, it's there. And I, I think that's a really wonderful thing.
0: I've had an opportunity to spend some time with Wilhelm over the years. I think my favorite Wilhelm Schmidt story, though, is uh, I ran into him at a car show about eight years ago, and uh, he recognized me and came over and he said, who was stupid enough to send you here? You don't know shit about cars.
4: That sounds right. That sounds right. Yes. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I mean, it, it, then,
4: that, that brand, you know, in terms of like their own Richmond. That's that's no secret. Uh, which is a big publicly traded company who's who owns some of the best brands in the world. And I, I think, you know, the, the way that I understand Langa's placement within that group is that it is really a tiny jewel within that company. It's something that, you know, you know, is it there to drive global awareness in the same way that Cartier is? Like, clearly not. We know that. Is it there to drive awareness the same way that uh, Giger or Panerai is? I think assuredly not. It's there for for the love of of craft, and I think Wilhelm has done an exceptional job. I mean, he is, I think, the longest serving CEO, global CEO within the group right now. Don't quote me on that, but it feels that way to me. I think you might be right. Yeah, and I I think that that says a lot about him. It says a lot about the company, the way that the company is managed, even from the, the the level above, you know, within the group. And it really is just a special place full of special people doing special things. And you know, I think you know the three of us. You know, this is a total love fest, but I think it's it's. One of those rare occasions where it's it's really well deserved. You know, they're not a perfect company, but they're as close to a perfect company in the watchmaking industry as as you're going to find.
0: I couldn't agree with you more, Ben. I mean, what I was thinking while you were while you were speaking just now was they're there to be good. That's their job in the group. They're they're just there to be good. Right. Well, thank you guys. It, it has been a little bit of a long and a love fest, but hopefully, folks listening to this will have a sense of why. You know, that can happen. I mean, we've got three guys here who, you know, I mean, we've seen a few watches in our time and uh, there really is something special about Lange and, um, you know, thanks for talking it out.
4: Yeah, it's our pleasure. And I think, you know, again, just to kind of like, you know, stop the criticism even before it comes, it's like show anybody that loves cars, a 1960s Ferrari and they will have nothing bad to say about it. You know, show anybody that that loves cameras, uh, a 1950s like it, and they'll have nothing bad to say about it. Show anybody that loves, watches, a and Sound, they will have nothing bad to say about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, as uh, one of my uh, Kung Fu teachers said, uh, to say anything more would be like painting legs on a snake. There's nothing more to say. Okay, we're out. Thanks guys. Bye.